Shall we go? <laughs> yeah, I've got time for that. Just got to start. <laughs> all right, all right. Let's go. Let's go. <clears throat> right. Let's try this again. You guys have had a lot of time to practice, so here we go. You guys ready? Let's go. Oh man, I was gonna use that one. <laughs> right. Come oh, on. You, got, you guys are amateurs. Right, man. Next, <laughs> next next episode, I'm going first. I'm going first next episode. Hello, this is the Brothers Trilogy, a podcast where three brothers get together to discuss, well, trilogies. And uh, welcome to our very own second episode, our chapter two, the sequel, Back Again with a Vengeance, part de, Roman numerals I-I, the next chapter, the next generation, the return, Judgment Day, and you get the idea, you know, so on and so forth. <laughs> I'm your host, Tobro, and unlike some, you know, crappy straight-to-video sequel that couldn't even attract the original stars back, I'm looking at you, Speed 2 Cruise Control, I'm happy to announce that I'm still joined by my elder brother, Paya. Paya, it's good to have you back on the show, and uh, let me just kick off by asking you, on a scale of Highlander 2, The Quickening, to Terminator 2, The Judgment Day. How are you feeling about our very own sequel on today's show? Our sequel? Oh, I think we are Empire Strikes Back. Ooh, strong shout, strong shout. Now, Bai, in the first episode, I, I introduced you as, as the most experienced member of our podcasting trio, and since then, you further widened the gulf by starting yet another podcast. You know, before before starting Brothers Trilogy, I, I did wonder whether the world needed another podcast. You know, there seems to be some kind of podcast inflation. <laughs> but then I see you with three podcasts and counting, and I don't feel so bad about it myself. So just doing one. So so thank you for that. Well, well this is now my entire social life. With, with lockdown continuing as it is, the only way I get to see people is, is by having these structured conversations. <laughs> And also joining us today is younger brother Rai. Rai, good job with the editing last episode, especially that point where the Zoom call abruptly ended and you had to kind of stitch it all together. So welcome and thank you. Yeah, thanks Tebra. It didn't take me too long to imitate all your voices and re-record the second half. So <laughs> you sweeted us. <laughs> <laughs> and nice new mic, Rai. Do you guys have the same mic? Because I'm feeling left out. Oh, I don't know. Um, Wave yours yeah. at the screen so we can have a look. Oh yeah, same one, man. Oh, same guys. one. The cheapest okay. four and a half star one on Amazon. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> All right. So this episode we're discussing Infernal Affairs Part de Two. Uh, hope you guys did the homework. Um, so, but before we get into that, I did want to mention one other thing. Now, Rai, you you. Um, you started a Twitter account for this podcast called yes, At Brothers Trilogy. So, you know, I went onto Twitter and, and typed that in, and mm -hmm. something else came up At oh. Trilogy Brothers. Oh, so no. I was like, whoa, hang on a second, <laughs> hang on a second. So these guys, right? These, these Trilogy Brothers, these, uh, you know, people's front of Judea, if you will. <laughs> Judean people front. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> describe themselves on their Twitter as musicians, singers, instrumentalists, and songwriters. Now, we are, of course, none of those things, so we've, we've <laughs> I think they've got us beat on, on, on all four of those. Um, Maybe we well, could have them on as special guests. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this well, sounds like a call for a crossover, doesn't it? 
They do mm. the music, we do the the reviews. Between us, we've got something going. Yeah. Well, you guys. Are, we I mean, we both actually have four followers each, so <laughs> we could actually combine to have eight. Oh Maybe we God. should just go, we should just go to <laughs> combine, man. The brothers sexology. <laughs> All right. Before we enter into negotiations, can we try and get a fifth follower? So we're sort of the you know the bigger party in this. Uh, yeah. All right. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll follow us, guys. Fine. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Great. Yeah, um, I've already opened three extra Twitter accounts to up our followers, guys. <laughs> oh wait, I I'm actually one of their followers because I'm keeping an eye on them, so I can just unfollow them. <laughs> there you go. We win. Checkmate, Trinity Brothers. I just I wanted to infiltrate the ranks, so I'm gonna follow them on the Brothers Trilogy. Um, Twitter feed and see if they will see what they think. <laughs> follow and follow back. Yeah. All right, so we'll we'll keep an eye on on the uh, trilogy brothers and and um, see where that goes to. Okay. Are, are we getting to a point where you know we'll start to think about the next trilogy? Do we want any kind of uh, from our four followers? Do any suggestions or anything? Are we opening anything up? Yeah, I think I think we could we could keep it democratic, and since I think. We're the only ones that'll vote right now. We could just sort of choose amongst ourselves. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, you're, you're forcing me to follow the, the, our own Twitter. Fine, I will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The other thing is, I was thinking, and, you know, we we intentionally didn't say something like film trilogies, so we left it open. And the other week, I was, I was at KFC, and um, I saw that they have a, a trilogy meal, right? So you get you get the zinger burger, you get a chicken, and there's one other thing you get to make it the trilogy. So if you guys are up for it, there's a trilogy in KFC that I think is worth doing a review of. So just just you know just putting it out there for you guys. Mate, I, I am up for fried chicken reviews all day long. <laughs> <laughs> Very right. different channel than what I'd planned, but I'm really up for it. Let's do this. Yep. All right. So maybe the KFC trilogy next, and uh, you know. KFC, if you know, if you want to sp- sponsor that episode, then I think, uh, yeah, we'll be fine with that. KFC so, yeah. sponsors the Australian cricket team and the Trinity Brothers. <laughs> we may, we, we will quite happily take payment in fried chicken as well. It's easy <laughs> enough for them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or just discount, you know, just discount. <laughs> well, you know, Chicken Cottage also happy to sponsor, or Dallas, anyone really. <laughs> oh, we're all in South London. Surely it must be a Morley's. We got. Oh uh, yeah. True, true. All right. Um, Infernal Affairs 2. Um, we're going to be breaking that down today. Um, okay, first thing about Infernal Affairs 2, and this shocked me, right? Infernal Affairs was released in 2002. Infernal Affairs 2 came out in 2003. Whoa. Yes, yeah, I, I, I saw that. My question is, did they know Infernal Affairs 1 was going to be a hit, or were they just... Like, did they have it pre-planned, or...? Yeah, you know, my sense is that it's an unplanned trilogy. Like, they just did the one and it seemed kind of cool, and then they thought, let's do a couple more. But it's crazy to, to get through the process that quickly, if that's I mean, the case. Yeah. They often greenlight sequels before the first film is out. I mean, e- even in Hollywood, that's, that's not uncommon when they know that they've got a hit on their hands. But mm-hmm. even with that, you're talking a good few years before you get any kind of turnaround. The only things I can think with that level of quick turnaround is is maybe Bollywood and and porn. 
<laughs> yeah, no, the Hong Kong film industry is sort of much more prolific. I think if you look at something like someone like Jackie Chan's filmography, it's immense. Like you know, the amount of films he can do in one year. So I think maybe it's partly to do with that. So it seems very surprising to us. But yeah, well, the, the Infernal Affairs fans didn't have to wait long to to watch the second episode. So we'll add it to the list then. So you've got Bollywood, porn, and Hong Kong cinema. Excellent. <laughs> That's that trilogy of fast-moving films. Yeah. Bollywood porn, they actually released the sequel before. <laughs> um, I actually think that it's probably better. I, if, if they knew they were going to release a second, there's no way they would have killed Tony Lung at the end of the first. They wouldn't just kill one of the biggest stars and then have a sequel. Mm. Yeah. I also think, in a way, if you wait a really long time to bring out a sequel, that the and the original film is good, right? The original film gets more and more legendary, and it's really hard to match up. So you mm. know, something like The Matrix or something like that, right? The original film is 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 one of the greatest films everyone's talking about, and then when you bring a sequel, it's really hard to kind of get to that. I think Godfather Part Two came out like I think about a couple of years after Godfather Part One, so they're so close together. I think it, it sometimes that it might even help your sequel, like before the first film gets too legendary. That's interesting, but of course, from the filmmaker perspective, presumably it's just about money, and you're banking off the popularity of the first one when you're making the second one. So mm. the more people who have watched the first, I guess, are likely to watch the second? Yeah. So, But then again, there's also momentum, right? So people are still talking about this film, let's get the next one out in front of them, all that momentum's still there. Yeah, I think it comes down to boring things like scheduling and stuff a lot of the time, like this actor's yeah, committed somewhere else and so on and so forth. Um, but but in this film, they managed to get all the uh, actors back, uh, at least the younger versions of um, the of uh, Tony Lung and Andy Lau's characters, which were played by Edison Chen and Sean Yu. That blew my mind that it was the same, same kids from the first film. There was mm. no way I thought that would happen because... You know, presumably you don't spend a lot of money on the younger kids uh, because, you know, it's a minor role, right? It's kind of little shots of them staring at each other and walking away before you got Tony and Andy taking over. Um, so they're not necessarily good actors. Um, mm. And then when you do see them in the second film, um, you know, now they're starring roles. So A, you're trusting them to be amazing actors. Uh, and B, actually they were. They're, they're bloody good actors. They pulled off the roles really well. Yeah, that continuity just just really was crazy. Yeah. Uh, also reprising their roles are Anthony Wong and Eric Sang as the Inspector Wong and the crime boss Sam. Um, same directors, same writers. Um, and I think um, also just to point out, a new member joins the cast is uh, Karina Lau, who plays Mary, Sam's wife. And... Interestingly, Karina Lau is actually Tony Lung's actual wife in the real world. Mm. Love it. Love to see it. Also, want to know Edison Chen, who is Lau, is in the sequel for one of the best trilogies of all time. He's in The Dark Knight. Oh, yeah, indeed he is. Who is he in Dark Knight? I don't know. I didn't recognize the character, but <laughs> I had a troll through all the IMDb pages. <laughs> he, he, I thought he... Um, I was gonna say he plays Lao, but now no, I think I might be wrong. I thought he played Lao. I was trying to get an idea whether these two guys, who obviously they headlined Infernal Affairs two, which was a massive release, 
like did they actually build careers off the back of it and it looks to me like this was for both of them like the big peak of their careers mm. in Final mm. Fantasy 2 so to, sorry to answer that question from earlier it, it's just a small cameo role he's got in The Dark Knight I, I confused the actors cool um, so yeah, you, this was their kickoffs. You thought, right? Yeah, I was wondering whether this was like their because they kind of got lucky to get into this trilogy, right? Essentially, because mm. they were playing a minor role, and suddenly they were headlining this huge film. Mm. Um, but it looks like for both of them, uh, they, their careers didn't really particularly kick on after this. I think I read one of them went on to be a rap artist. Um, I don't know which one though. I think I think Edison <laughs> Chen possibly. Also oh right. man, Edison Chen and Andy Lau could do a track together. I could, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the other person reprising his role is um, is Chapman Toe, who uh, played the um, slightly dim-witted criminal in the first film, and he's oh, yeah. there and and met by um, met by our young characters in this film. So he's playing a younger version of himself, um, and actually again does it really smoothly. Mm. All right, so this is the point where I think um, I'll try and give a brief uh, background to what the story is about. It's 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 good, good luck for this yeah. one, man. Good <laughs> luck for this one. I uh, I wrote some Actually, of it out. So. We're talking about how these guys produced this film in a year. How did they write the whole film in a year? Good, yeah, I'm glad you're doing it. Last time you threw it out to us, and I, I was watching this one going, I hope he doesn't ask me to do this one because yeah. I'm not ready. <clears throat> Yeah, you guys can just sort of kick back and uh, enjoy my um, narration. So, spoiler alerts from here on out for everything Infernal Affairs 2 and, you know, probably Infernal Affairs 1 as well, because we'll probably touch on that as well. Cool. So, Infernal Affairs 2 revolves around a crime family or triad called the Nagais. I'm definitely pronouncing that wrong, so uh, but let's just go with it anyway. So I'm just going to call them the Nagai Triad. Uh, so at the start of the film, uh, the head of the family, Mr. Nagai Sr., let's call him, is assassinated. Uh, so with the head sort of killed, his son, Mr. Nagai Jr., steps into his father's shoes to take over the family business. But there's dissent in the ranks. Uh, the top four lieutenants form a pack deciding, you know, eh, the boss is dead. Do we still need to kick up to him? You know, why don't we just break off and do our own thing kind of, you know, idea. Um, but the younger Nagai seems to have some, you know, aces up his sleeves. He's got sort of dirt on each of these bosses and he brings them all back into line. And so, you know, the junior Mr. Nagai secures his family business. As to the question of who actually killed the elder Mr. Nagai, it emerges that it was done by a young low-level gangster called Lau, on orders from Mary. And Mary is Sam's wife. Now, stick with me here, guys, I know. (laughs) Uh, So Sam is also a lieutenant, as it turns out, in the Nagai triad. And it appears Mary has this idea that, oh, she wants Sam to progress in his career as a gangster, and one of the ways she can make this happen is by killing the boss of the the triad. And I don't know what Mary was thinking and how that was exactly going to work out, but, you know, that was her plan, you know, kill the boss and maybe my husband will become the boss one day or something like that. Everyone goes up one step. Yeah, yeah, I guess it's going on one of those things, right? You know, we all get a promotion. It's like if I kill the boss. So, 
so you know Lao, the young gangster who killed the Mr. Nagai, the elder, is now asked, you know, you better stay low since you did this uh, murder. And, you know, while you're staying low, if you would want to join the police and be a mole for us, that wouldn't be a bad idea either. So, you know, so Lao heads, heads off and while keeping low, I guess he just goes right under the cops' nose and just joins up the, the police force. Right. So that's that. All of that pretty much happens right at the start. And it's a confusing start, but we were through it. So over at the police academy, there's Lao who's trying to infiltrate the police as a mole for Sam and Mary. But there's also another interesting recruit, a young man called Chan. Now the police discover, oh, you know, Chan is actually half-brother to Mr. Nagai Jr., the current boss of the Nagai triad. So the police... Chan, you know, is, Chan is young Tony Lung, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. So he's, he's sort of uh, the same character, Tony Lung's character in the second one. So the police tell Chan, you know, um, hey, you, we can't let you be a cop because of your family connections. So, you know, tough luck. But uh, good news is uh, if you agree to go undercover for us into the Nagai family, we'll let you join the police force as an undercover cop. So Chan, you know, says, OK, I'll do that. So they send Chan to jail. He gets into a few brawls, you know, just sort of building up his street cred. And then eventually he gets noticed by his half-brother, who brings him into the family business, just as the police hoped. And simultaneously, as Chan is sort of rising in the triad ranks, Lao is rising in the police force. Essentially, like both of these characters are basically getting into the positions that will find them for Infernal Affairs 1. It's pretty much high up in each other's organizations. Uh, but undiscovered, of course. Now, next, Mr. Nagai Jr. sort of decides to order a series of hits, basically taking down anybody who might have had anything to do with his father's murder. So he kills all four of his top lieutenants, even though in all likelihood they had nothing to do with the murder. Uh, and he also tries to get Sam killed, Mary killed, and an Inspector Wong, who seems to have been complicit in the murder, too. Of all of these hits, only Sam and Inspector Wong narrowly survive. Now Sam, who was actually on in, in, in Thailand at the time doing some kind of a drug deal, is stranded over in Thailand and is unable to come back. A few years pass, he's sort of stranded there, he gets a wife, a child. Eventually Inspector Wong comes over to Thailand and, and asks Sam, hey, why don't you come back to Hong Kong? We'll give you some police protection as long as you testify against the Nagai triad. And Sam says, okay, you know what, I'll come back with you. So we're now coming right to the conclusion of the film. Uh, Sam comes back to Hong Kong and Mr. Nagai gets wind of this and decides to take Sam's family back in Thailand hostage so that Sam doesn't you know, testify against him. Um, but then Sam sort of con goes straight ahead and confronts Mr. Nagai. And then, you know, in this sort of final confrontation, confrontation of the movie, Sam reveals to Mr. Nagai, well, actually, that family of mine back in Thailand isn't really my family. That was just a ruse. I fooled you. And the truth is, I made friends back in Thailand. And those friends of mine in Thailand have your family hostage, Mr. Nagai. Now, the tables have turned. And in fury, Mr. Nagai points a gun at Sam. But then the police show up and Inspector Wong shoots and kills Mr. Nagai. So the movie ends with Sam now as the most senior triad. Uh, everyone moves up a stage, as you said, when somebody dies. Uh, Inspector Wong sort of in the police force and the two moles firmly planted. How did I do? 
Yeah, I think you deserve a massive round of applause right now for being able to unpick that really complicated film. Uh, we watched it. We ended up watching it in two parts, which isn't a comment on the film not engaging us. It's just sort of life and, and children got in the way, so we ended up taking a break and coming back. And I was so confused when I got back into it. I had to uh, start reading the Wikipedia page to kind of catch up. Go, okay, that's where we are. Uh, and even then, throughout the most of the second half of our viewing, there was a lot of discussions back and forth to make sure we were on the same page, uh, my wife and I, as we were watching it. Okay, so the first thing I wanted to sort of discuss with you guys was the genre. Now, I, I kind of feel that sequels often shift genres, and, and usually it's sort of they move away from their genre and go into sort of generic action. So I think, you know, Mission Impossible was a spy thriller and then sort of became generic action. I think Alien, Terminator were much more sci-fi based at the beginning and then sort of became all just sort of more about the action later on. And other films like, you know, Fast and the Furious and a few other franchises have sort of shifted over the time. And I, my kind of feeling watching this film was is this more sort of a gangster mafia film? I mean, the way I sort of see the story, it's mostly about the Nagai family and their history and all of that, rather than a sort of a police drama, which is kind of how I saw the first film. I don't know what you guys think a little bit about that. That sounds quite interesting. So uh, the examples you've used are you know, are really solid uh, in terms of shifting. I, I think often the aim with the sequel is sort of, let's do bigger, let's do more. So we've got a little bit more money, uh, we'll do exactly what we've done before and, and, and do it bigger. I think it's the better sequels where they decide to um, change it up uh, a little bit um, and and often explore the wider world in, in what, what's going on. What's interesting here, of course, is it's not a sequel, it's a prequel. Mm. Well, you know, what's well, so the second film? So it's, it's, it's a prequel straight up. Um, yeah, so it certainly is... Mm, is it more a gangster thing than a cop thing? because of the focus on the gangster family. Yes, I think there's a much bigger understanding of, of the triads and the relationships amongst them, which we probably had less of. You know, it was just one generic... You had one generic criminal in the... Well, not generic, but one kind of broad sense of criminality in the first film, and you had some nuances within the police. In this one, the police seemed to be just kind of one holistic blob whilst the criminal gangs had a lot more nuance uh, in them so that's the big shift for me yeah I think that there's there's also those sort of tropes or cliches that that, uh, that I expect from a sort of gangster film so so there is the multi-generational crime family like the Godfather and they even take they have a family gathering and take that extended family photo just like the Godfather there's there's sort of these you know like when 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 uh, Mr. Nagai goes off and whacks all of the other lieutenants, it's it's very Scorsese like one gets mm. burnt alive, one's buried alive, suffocated, okay. shot, and not to mention the classic Scorsese of a car getting rigged to explode. All of these kind of you know fired off memories in my head of other gangster films I'd seen, and I think uh, I was, I was just all of that. The the Departed is that a police film or is that a gangster film? Mm. Because that's the story mm. of Infernal Affairs 1, right? But I'm thinking in my head that Infernal Affairs 1 is very much cop thriller, but Departed, in my head, is actually a gangster flick. I, I, I tend to think Departed is more... Oh, I don't know, I think it may be a bit more of a cop film, because the focus is... There's more, there's more attention on the cop side. 
Well, yeah. I mean, I guess that's quite cool about the whole thing that it is clearly fifty-fifty enough for you to kind of think either way um, mm. where the coin falls. So you just talked about that scene where um, the four lieutenants get whacked. So there's something mm. uh, we picked up because around the same time we're, we are working our way through Avatar: The Last Airbender, uh, and <laughs> a big part of that show is is the four elements: there's you know earth, fire, water, wind, and the way mm. those four are killed. Is through the oh, four elements. No Whoa! Way. Yeah, so you got one who gets burnt alive, one whose face gets buried in coal. Um, there's another guy who um, is drinking water. It's really, it, and that's what made it quite obvious. The guy who shoots is, is walking around drinking water, and they take the bottle away, and he's drinking it. Uh, and um, I've forgotten the last one. The other one's one. suffocated, I think. Suffocated, that's it, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's a banger. I love that. I absolutely love that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> God, this film is so good. <laughs> I can't take credit for it, actually, so that was that was my wife who <laughs> picked that one up. That, that is really cool. But you know what? If you like, they've, they've all presumably committed the same level of transgression, so, you know, it sucks to be the burnt-alive guy. You're like, why did I get to burnt-alive? <laughs> why couldn't I be the shot guy? Like... <laughs> Yeah, all he was doing was drinking water. (laughs) (laughs) I could have just been smoking. Why could have just been that? Yeah, that sucks, man. Um, Yeah, even the way sort of he that that also reminded me of the Godfather because he's sort of you know the the younger Nagai. He's he's a bit Michael Corleone, a bit contemplative. You know, looks a bit like I'm an accountant. I don't really belong here. I'm introverted while everybody else is shouting. But but at the end of the day, he sort of you know clicks his fingers and gets these people killed and sort of yeah and um, I, I think another big sign of that is when you mentioned at the start where he's got dirt on all of the four lieutenants to get mm. them back in line I think mm. what's key there is he doesn't just have dirt on each one he's got dirt on how they're screwing each other so oh, one yeah. is banging another one's wife one is you know stealing from him one thing is business or whatever so it's all it's not just you know I will release this and you guys will get fucked it's you guys will fuck each other. Basically, you'll kill yeah. each other if I if I let these things go. Uh, and that was just genius. But why, that, why did he have to kill them anyways? Did I don't? I'm not really sure why. Because he had brought them all into line. Then he decides to kill them later on. I don't. Not sure. I fully followed that. I uh, I thought he was under the impression they killed his his father. Yeah. So he did. So the way I got it was, um, you know, once his father's been killed, he wanted to pull all the business in. He wanted to kind of get it all in line and get it under control and get what he wanted. Then the plan is right. I've got my money. I've got what I need. I'm retiring now. Mm. Um, I did a bit of the song and dance with Sam, but you know, I'm going scorched earth now. I'm getting back everyone who came after me. Um, yeah. Uh, and leaving this place. Uh, and of course, it's at the same time as you know. Hong Kong going over to China, and and he's leaving entirely. He's moving to Hawaii. Yeah. So that's how he ends. He ends his time with the triads, so with the gangsters, and he ends his the gangs the gang entirely. So that's interesting. Him trying to sort of end the gang, and then he does try to do this sort of enter politics or move to Hawaii. He does mm. seem to have other plans outside of being a sort of triad boss. You know. Cool. Um, I was say another thing, like in terms of shift from this film to the second one. So there's the genre, and I think in the fir- in this in this one, it's not as much about uh, Lao and um, sorry, I forgot Chan. 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 Yeah, it's not really about them. I think it's more about Sam and Wong, really. 
yeah, they are the the two people that the focus is on. Um, and the other unique thing about this one is that there's a very clear, very clear bad guy, a uh, young Nagai, right? Mm. He's clearly the bad guy. Whereas the first one, there's sort of f- these four characters, and you don't know, we're not really sure who's the bad guy. Even Sam, I really like Sam in Infernal Affairs one. Um, so I think that's another difference here. Well, it's, it's interesting you say that. I, I thought, well, there's two things I think. One is I thought in the later in the first film rather both uh, Sam and uh, Wong are these legends right and sometimes when you go to show the legend the thing that makes them legendary you don't do it very well uh, but in this case you know that story built up really well I thought but I liked them uh, less in this film and the other thing was with with uh, Ch- with Tony Lung's character with Chan at the end of the la- our last podcast, we debated whether or not we felt sympathy for him. You know, was, was he a sympathetic character? For Lau, not Chen, yeah. Uh, sorry, for Lau, Andy Lau's character, mm-hmm. beg your pardon. Yeah. yeah, for Lau, yeah. is he a sympathetic character? Mm-hmm. And of course, here, he kills Mary. He kills Sam's wife. because Well, firstly, he tries to rape Sam's wife, and because mm. she spurns him, he then has her killed. So any kind of thought you have of sympathy towards this man is gone it's entirely erased um, and then you know you, you have him leading straight into the next film really because you have him meeting you have him meeting meeting the girl who will eventually become his wife the writer in in the second film as well, in the first film as well um, but now going back to that film he's a much more evil character I think yeah, yeah, I think that's right. He he comes across much more ruthless. I mean, um, and even even you know him meeting this other girl at the end. The only thing that sort of draws his eyes is that his her name is Mary, mm. which is also the name of Sam's wife. Um, and you know, in in a sense, his betrayal of Sam in in Infernal Affairs one actually makes more sense because he was never really uh, loyal to Sam. He killed Mary and Sam never told Sam about it. Mm. Um, but but I think you're right. It kind of ruins the ambiguity about his character. This idea that the first film was trying to sell about maybe he's a, sort of suffering continually and is trapped in his circumstances. I think it kind of pushes us much more towards the idea of Lao just being a sort of yeah. ruthless opportunist. How yeah. did you guys see Mary's character, or I suppose Mary's relationship with Lao going throughout the film? Yeah, Mary's an interesting. I mean, with relation to Lao, I mean, she. I, I almost thought that it was motherly. Mm, um, yeah, yeah, that's the way I picked up on it. Yeah, but it Lao was, obviously thought something else was was there, which which wasn't. It was really strange because yeah, it was very mm. maternal throughout, and for a long time, I I actually thought that must be his mum or some or you know that there's some kind of natural mm. connection there. But then it became kind of this pseudo-sexual relationship. Obviously, he you know he fancied her. Um, very bizarre, very bizarre twist there. Yeah. So one of the things we discussed in the first Infernal Affairs was the uh, female characters not having much agency. Hmm. So how does uh, Mary as a character compare um, in 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 that in those terms? Um, I I guess you know her having agency her being someone a character in her own right the argument for it might be that she's the one who actually orders the the hit on mr nagai the elder uh, therefore she, she's, she off. starts the whole dominoes effect right mm, mm. she kind of kicks everything off 
But then, you know, when she tries to explain her reasoning behind this, she kind of says, uh, you know, and I kind of wrote this down. She says, women are simple. If a man treats me well, I do anything. Um, kind of showing that, oh, you know, I'm just ultimately loyal to Sam and I, you know, that's it. I'm loyal to my man kind of thing. Um, but yeah, maybe maybe that's just her kind of keeping undercover what, you know, her true intentions of being. I, I, I kind of always felt, I understand that Sam was the actual person sort of arms deep in the triad, but I kind of always got the idea that they were a team going through it together. Like, even from the very first scene when Sam comes out and pretends to be her driver in the car and stuff, mm. it just always made... I always, always kind of thought that they were a team. Yeah, I mean, she would never get any kind of actual rank in the triads around that time. So any influence she's ever going to have, uh, given... I don't know how the triads operate today, so who knows, maybe still. <laughs> uh, the only way she was going to get any kind of uh, influence would have to be through Sam. Uh, but it was her making those decisions. It was her calling the shots, um, and and her kicking off the entire plot of the film, basically, and I guess the plot of the trilogy. Yeah, yeah. But sadly, she I guess she had to die because she wasn't in the in the first Infernal Affairs. So, but um, thereby, pro you know, just providing Sam with some um, motivation. Yeah, I, I guess she was a little bit more than the old girlfriend in the in the refrigerator, you know. Mm. So it, I think she existed more than just to give Sam that motivation. She did kick it all off, um, yeah. you know. And I, and yeah, there was that bizarre sort of relationship with um, Lau. Um, so yeah, the, the, there was certainly more to her. She wasn't as as just a kind of adding as the, as the other characters in the in the second. Yeah, confused. Mm. Sorry, in the first film. Yeah, the first um, film, which is actually after this. Yeah. Yeah, but again, yeah, I th I think how women are treated in the films uh, is is still sort of similar. So you know, um, Lau, uh, Lau just has her killed because she turns him down. Um, Sam, whilst he does the whole decoy wife and kids thing, um, haha, not my actual wife and kids. Well, he's still got a, a woman and a child murdered. You know, mm. just just like that. And then finally, when he's got um, he's got Mr. Nagai, the younger Nagai's family, uh, at gunpoint, he now has a choice whether or not to have them killed. Uh, and he decides, yeah, forget it, shoot him. Uh, so, you know, women, children are very much just assets, accessories, you know, without any kind of thing of their own in these films so far. Mm. Um, we talked a little bit about how Lao's character now looks in uh, given this background to uh, in this film um, what about Chan so Chan is the uh, undercover cop in the triads played by Tony Lung in the in the first film um, I kind of feel that um, it's it's a little bit confusing why Sam would hire Chan at because uh, obviously he ends up working for Sam given that uh, Chan was the half-brother of Mr. Nagai who basically the and Sam took the whole family down uh, so why does he not kill Chan or does he not know that this is his half-brother why does he just sort of take him in and not only take him in he becomes Sam's most trusted uh, you know person in the in the, in the next movie so um, I'm not sure how that shift happened I guess that's interesting. I mean, I, I certainly felt Chan got less development than Lau did in this film. 
you know, he, he felt like a secondary character to me. Um, mm. and, and whenever he was on screen, it was probably a little bit less interesting uh, to me than, than when, when we saw Lau going through his motions. Because you saw Lau, I think, more often going through the back and forth of being a criminal and being the kind of fake cop. Uh, whereas Chan's meetings with um, Inspector Wong were a little bit less interesting. And his, his whole sort of motivation of, you know, I just want to go good, I just want to be... It, it all mm. felt a little bit sort of one-dimensional at times. Uh, I, I wonder how different would be feeling if it was played by a slightly more charismatic actor, like, mm. well, like Tony Lung, I guess. Mm. Um, like someone mm. who could really sell the performance of like someone struggling to do good despite being forced to do bad and all that sort of thing. I think there is a decent story arc there, but I think perhaps wasn't portrayed the best way. Yeah. I mean, the, the other question... Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was just gonna say the other question is why is why is he still undercover after you know his whole point of being undercover was he has these blood ties to the Nagais you know his his blood relation sorry um, once the Nagais are out of the picture what's he still doing there given that he was promised that he would be let out but maybe it's just the police screwing him over and keeping him in there yeah so I think it's that I think it's that and that kind of made me feel more sorry for him as well it makes me more sympathetic towards that character mm. the fact that he's just being dragged along by the cops keep doing this undercover stuff for years and years on end. He's definitely getting screwed over both ways, right? So, you know, Wong is a much um, more ambiguously moral character now. Um, uh, so he's got kind of... And, and you're, I guess you're left with um, Chan being the only sort of straight-through hero character in, in this franchise now, aren't you? Everyone else is really ambiguous or just plain evil. Um, and he's the only one who's doing it for the right thing, and and, on, and then you think you know he's got the most tragic story arc of it all. Yeah, that was interesting about Wong. I mean, he seems to have known, I guess, at the very least, about the murder of the senior Mister Nagai, or, or and not done anything about it, and not sure why. But that sort of, yeah, it it really does sort of make his character seem. Uh, much dirtier than, yeah. than he was in the first w film. W Wong's a bad guy, man. Wong's, Wong's a bad, bad guy, guy yeah. And, uh, yeah, this film made Wong a worse guy and Sam a better mm. guy, kind mm. of. <laughs> Until Sam their... actively got that woman and child killed and then had the other family killed for no reason whatsoever. Yeah, but this is what I think is quite clever about this film, because after watching Infernal Affairs 1, mm. we spent the whole time discussing who's bad, Chan, Lao, who's bad, and now watching Final Fantasy 2 and asking the same questions about two different characters. Mm. That's a very good point, yeah, that's true. That's true, yeah, I like that. Um, Wong and Sam, they start off this film as, you know, sort of friendly terms. Um, Sam is, I guess, an informant for Wong, mm. and by the end, by the start of the first film, they're meant to be sort of arch nemesis kind of situation. Did you buy the whole... I kept I kept waiting for the film to drop that moment where it's like, okay, you know, from now on, we're full-on enemies. But I don't know if I, <laughs> if I got that. Like, I guess it's just that Sam is now the new triad boss, so they kind of... But Wong wanted Sam in charge, right? That was the whole point of it. Wong thought Sam is the person who's the least sort of dodge and violent person who could run the triads now. That's why he conspired mm. with Mary to, to kill kill the elder uh, boss, right? Right. So he's he's put this guy in charge. I mean, you know, they're going for long walks mm. in the beach in the middle of the film. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and quite near the end of the film, they're still sort of on very friendly terms. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, but I suppose ultimately, you know, you're still a cop, I'm still a criminal. That's still going to be there. Mm. Cool. Yep. Um, the other thing uh, I think it's worth mentioning is the portrayal of um, British people in this film. And now British people, I think, or uh, when it comes to sort of British Empire type people, they're, I think, usually portrayed very negatively, I, you know, in these sorts of films. I'm thinking of like uh, films like Lagan and, and other films where, you know, it's really kind of... Um, you know that oh finally they've left kind of situation the colonizers um yeah the colonizers and and you know the the handover the, the so in the background of the film hong kong is being hanged handed over from uh the british to the chinese and and i i kind of feel feel that the film isn't really passing any comment on this i mean this the same sort of incident happens by the way in rush hour i don't know if you guys remember that there's also the handover happening in the background of rush hour the jackie chan film uh, chris tucker um and even in that film the british are the evil guys at the end of the day you know rush hour spoilers but yeah the the, the jun tao that they're seeking the crime bosses it turns out to be this british guy um but here it's, i mean I never picked that up watching rush hour <laughs> I've had to watch that film so many times I never picked it up <laughs> Jun Tao yeah um, so yeah interesting that there just seems to be no comment at all like uh, and, and not only aren't the British not shown as evil villains the Chinese aren't shown as great saviors either it's sort of a matter of fact oh it just happened um, which, is, which is quite interesting I think that the, the sort of non-political uh statement is itself something interesting i think yeah i mean i, I think firstly um the nature of the handover is a lot more complicated and nuanced in, in reality um mm. uh, you know uh, even as we're seeing now with all the, the the protests for freedom of hong kong um and in fact just in the news today um when we when we saw uh, uh, when there's been announcements of uh, people from Hong Kong being able to have a unique way of uh, accessing the UK, um, so so I think it it's not as simple as we are now returning. Uh, we're now leaving the colonizers are now leaving and, and returning a country to its original people. I think you know it, it's far more complicated than that. Uh, but then there's also the aspect of understanding um, what will be shown by Chinese cinema, what what's actually going mm. to get publicised. Um, yeah. So you know, I think it's far more difficult to be uh, uh, political to to make political comments uh, in in China. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to be cautious and, and polite. Mm. We don't here, want to I get suppose. banned in China, bro. That's a big market. Big yeah, well, exactly, market for exactly. Us. So if you if you <laughs> want your film to make any kind of money, you don't want it to get banned in China. So you don't want to make any comments against the Chinese. Um, you know, it wouldn't necessarily make sense to you know go against uh, have the British as the as the baddies in in this case, which is again quite rare, I think, for the Brits mm. historically. Um, yeah, so so there's there's a lot of that, isn't isn't there? But it it does acknowledge the handover. It does acknowledge what's going on, and it certainly brought into my mind the current situation as well. So we're watching it now, whilst there all the protests in in Hong Kong are happening, and all the the, the horrific sort of atrocities being committed by by the police, you know, on on the people of of Hong Kong. Um, and of course, at the same time, you know, we're we're in this sort of world where uh, we're protesting against the racism and and defund the police and Black Lives Matter and and all everything that's going on here. So the film was made at a time 
probably when we were comfortable sort of saying the police are the good guys, the criminals are the bad guys. Um, and it, we're watching it at a time where it's far, far more complicated than that. Um, and we're watching a film which has that ambiguity in the police itself. So, you know, we're now talking about Wong being a bad guy. Um, and it sits, you know, it's not as shocking when we watch it now because, you know, we now think of the police in a, in a different way than we would have when this film came out. Yeah, uh, you know, I mean, I think Infernal Affairs 1, you could probably make the argument it's, you know, Lao is just the only bad apple in an otherwise good police force. Mm. But in this film, I mean, Wong, okay, so now, we, he, you know, and he's a senior guy, so the, the rot and the corruption goes further up. But not only that, when it comes out that he, he was involved in all of this, you know, they suspend him for a while, and then they just bring him back into the force, you mm. know, like, ah, oh, you know what, we, we need you after all. So, so it really, the corruption goes even further than that. Like, mm. he should be at least, you know, charged with something. But yeah. it's sort yeah. of, yeah, you know. I mean, this is a guy who, who um, mm. conspired to murder someone that the police mm. know about. Um, yeah. And, and they have evidence. They have yeah, evidence. They have <laughs> and I imagine watching it at the time, you're going, oh, mm. my God, I can't believe they've released that person. Uh, and watching <laughs> it this week... We're going, oh god, just another, <laughs> you know, it feels far too real, basically. Yeah. Uh, Tobro, yeah. can I ask, is this the first time, they, oh, in fact, I know it's not the first time you've watched it, so whilst Rai and I watched it for the first time, you know, this in the last couple of weeks, and I guess we've had our 2020 sensibilities on, is it mm. different for you watching it now than when you watched it back when? Yeah, I, for me, it, it kind of is the first time in the sense that I, I didn't have much memory of when I watched it as a teenager. Mm. Um, and even a lot of the plot was sort of, you know, coming at, at me fresh. Um, so, yeah, it felt like a first time, definitely. Um, but, yeah, I think the film raises interesting questions. And um, we, we talked a little bit about Hero last time which was also up for um the awards but infernal affairs uh won uh, the hong kong film award best picture award mm -hmm. ahead of hero hero interestingly does um well it's been read as being quite political because um you know spoilers for hero but basically the story is jet li conspires with a bunch of other uh, people to assassinate the chinese emperor but Right at the end, he decides not to do it, realizing that unification of all under heaven is ultimately better for everyone. Mm. So there's this sort of underlying message in Hero that, hey, all of us being united under one emperor, one government, one whatever, is, is best for everybody. And, and Jet Li comes to this great realization and decides to call off the, the, the whole plot. Um, but yeah, it's interesting that the sort of there's this you know this debate going on in these films about um, Hong Kong or other sort of Chinese territories and what's best for them. Questions, and uh, I think these are questions that are probably too deep for the three of us to uh, try and answer. So I think we'll just leave it to the listeners, and um, we'll just go ahead and uh, maybe wrap up. Uh, cool. So ratings. How would you guys uh, rate the two? Which is, um, is it Infernal Affairs 1 or 2? Uh, what's your favorite? I preferred the first one, uh, certainly. Mm. It's a much um, tighter film for me. Um, there are, I liked all the callbacks, um, especially, you know, right, right from the very beginning where um, where you had um, uh, a Lao tapping the paper against his leg and thought, you know, that's straight from the film. And then you saw it's the same actors playing them and all that kind of stuff was really good. Um, 
but the first one I think is a, is a bit of a masterpiece. Um, and this doesn't quite live up to it for me. Yeah, right. So I think Infernal Affairs one has a, an amazing story. I think it's like a, if Infernal Affairs one wasn't there, there's absolutely no chance I would have watched this random Hong Kong film about gangsters. Right. Yeah, I'm only watching it because Infernal Affairs one story was so great. Um, but even knowing that I actually really think that this film is on a par if not better than Infernal Affairs 1 because I feel the development of the characters especially Wong and Sam I just really went with it I really went with the story Um, and maybe because it was less familiar to me than Infernal Affairs 1 and Infernal Affairs 1 has just got this constant oh this was in the departed thing going on in my head Mm. yeah Uh, uh, and it was just like a new story um, for me so I did on this watch I definitely preferred watching this than watching the first one for sure yeah I think I think the first Infernal Affairs does clinch it for me but this is a damn good sequel right I mean this is or prequel uh, but this is sort of how you go about it I think it, it's it's really good um, yeah. so, I mean sequels aren't often uh, to the level of the first film uh, you, you named a few that that were, um, but yeah, I, I think it's rare for a sequel to get it so right, and, and this is one of them that does. Definitely, cool. Well, that's uh, pretty much it. Uh, if you're, you know, thank you so much for listening, and uh, remember to rate, subscribe, uh, tell your uncles and aunties to follow us on mm-hmm. Twitter uh, at Brothers Trilogy, not at Trilogy Brothers. We've got our eyes on you, Trilogy Brothers. Uh, we'll be discussing Infernal Affairs 3 on the next episode so be sure to check that out available on Netflix uh, in the UK Um, and on that note I'm off so it's good night from me and good night from my co-hosts good night everyone night night guys right that went alright shall we put it up